one of my quotes again, I say, you can't help but laugh when you realize the only thing that's upsetting you is your own imagination. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Welcome to the One Percenter Podcast with David Nurse. That was a pretty good tagline there, if I do say so myself. On this week's episode of the One Percenter Podcast, I bring to you someone who is going to absolutely free your mind, spiritual freedom, mental peace, physical vitality, heal your mind, heal your body from the mind architect himself. Literally a quote from the Financial Times has stated that this guy, that this guy on the One Percenter Podcast is like meeting Buddha, Einstein, and Austin Powers all at the same time. And I could not agree more. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring to you the one, the only, Mr. Peter Crone. Peter is a mind architect. And what exactly is that? Well, basically, it's how you redesign your subconscious mind from the limitations that all our minds have to the freedoms and the potential power that we also all have. But it's how to unlock that potential power. And Peter is the master. He's worked with the top athletes, helping DeAndre Jordan crack the code of how to shoot free throws. He's helped Gwyneth Paltrow. He's helped some of the best actors, some of the best businesses, corporations, literally on how how to free the subconscious mind. And instead of make it work against you, make it work for you. And as you all know on the One Percenter Podcast, I'm big on mindset shifts. And Peter is the ultimate mindset shifter. How to take just surviving to thriving. How to redesign your subconscious mind. And limitations are only limitations if you think they're limitations. Peter will tell you more on that in this episode. And just get ready to just have a genuine conversation. Literally, how to bridge the gap of physical vitality, mental peace, wellness, and bring it all to your life. Right here right now on the one percenter podcast so buckle up because here we go but let's say i'm giving you a player i'm giving you an nba say i'm giving you an nba all-star okay and his potential is very very high he's got a very very high potential ceiling but but he's just like he just can't seem to get there he's in his he's in his own head yeah so what would be like how do you how do you go about looking at a player and figuring out like how they're going to be motivated the best, how they're going to basically, how are they going to be the best version of themselves that they can be? So, I mean, I think the first thing is I don't look at them as a player. I look at them as a human, right? And so just by virtue of being human, okay, they may choose to specialize in playing hoops, right? That may be their skill set, but still before they became talented or whatever they do. So this could be across any sport, any industry, the thing that we want to look at is that they were human first and by default of being human, you're going to have these pre-installed constraints. So I would look at, or I do look at with anyone that I help, what are the fundamental building blocks of their subconscious that create limitation? So someone could have physiologically like a fantastic specimen of a body, they could have all the talent in the world, but if the subconscious doesn't support like... um, the full expression of that then it doesn't matter how much you try or what diet you have or what shooting coaches you use or what team you're on because it's like I use the metaphor of a house like if you want to build say a 10,000 square foot home 
but you only have a foundation that will hold a 1500 square foot two bedroom house like it, it's not it doesn't matter yeah. what you do it's not gonna yeah but we got the best paint it's yeah. Like, yeah. Like, don't freaking matter you know yeah. it's like yeah. yeah but we got really beautiful fixtures well it, it doesn't matter you've got to change the foundation so for me the subconscious is the foundation for then possibility Nice. That's that's what I talk with players about that want to add like a lot of things to their game when they're coming into the NBA. Mm-hmm. Is, no, you have to do exactly what you're great at first and build your foundation in the NBA, and then you can add all the bells and whistles and all the interior home decorating. But the same thing with the mind and developing the player and the person. I really like that. Yeah. So talking about the subconscious, mm-hmm. you talk to us more about the subconscious. I don't think people are really familiar with like the subconscious. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, I love it. I know how important it is, mm-hmm. but it also kind of sounds like, oh, is this the movie Inception where you're dreaming in the subconscious? Like, how do you get yeah. in touch with your subconscious? It's it's a great question, and it's really kind of that that universal blind spot for people. So yeah. that's why it's difficult to access. So someone could be sitting at home, they have conscious thoughts. They could be sitting with their feet up watching TV, and they could be thinking about gosh, you know, this particular dream aspiration of theirs, or they could be thinking about whatever their concerns are with a family member or with their own physical wealth and health and whatever it might be. So their conscious thoughts, the subconscious is like the invisible framework around that, right? So it's another metaphor. If here we are in LA, if I went outside and stood on, you know, a bench and I jumped, I'm, I'm going to go down. Right, like I'm mm-hmm. that. That's just that's law. That's physics, right? Mm-hmm. So if I go to New York and I stand on a bench or a wall and I jump, I'm I'm going to go down, right? Um, I could go over to Europe and stand on a bench and I jump and I'm going to go down, right? So yeah. these are all conscious activities. What's the un, what's the subconscious in that metaphor? Is gravity. Now you can't see gravity, but it dictates all of the actions. Do you see? So yeah, it's not like sure. you can feel sure. gravity. Right. You don't. You can't smell it. Right. But it informs everything that happens on this planet. Right. You know it's going to be there. You know it's going to happen regardless. Yeah. It's Until you, you know, like obviously we learn that at a very young age. Like one of the things that humans just generally are scared of is the sensation of falling because it's sort of in our DNA and gravity defines that right so everybody then at some point you know from a very young age you realize oh if i trip i fall down if i jump off anything i'm going to go down right so that's just using that as a metaphor that's like the subconscious you don't see it and yet it informs everything right right so the subconscious is something you don't see and yet it informs the way you think feel then behave and then consequently the results you get. So that's the cascade. So people see their results in life, whatever it is. Yep. Their results are an inextricable con- uh, extension of the actions they took. Right. Right? Yep. So a very simple you know, example would be I drink water. That's the action. The result is going to be in 30, 45 minutes an hour, I'm going to have to go and right. use the bathroom. Right? Yeah. So that, but then prior to action, we've got to look at thoughts and feelings because they inform what do we think about, and that can include motivations, commitments, intentionalities. But feelings also get in the way, right? People may say they want to get in shape, that's a thought, a conscious choice. But if their feelings are, ah, I can't be bothered, I'll go tomorrow, there's a sort of sense of lethargy, apathy, procrastination. Well, now that informs the actions that do or don't happen and then consequently the results. What I'm saying is all of that sits in a house of the subconscious. So the subconscious 
linguistics or the languaging that we have is definitive, meaning you can't go outside of that, right? So if right. we're sitting here right, right. in a room that's like, say, a thousand square feet, there's only available in that space is whatever's available in a thousand square feet. Yeah. You know, you're right. like, you, could, you couldn't fit something that occupies yeah. 1,500 square feet in there because it just doesn't allow it. So it's a long-winded answer to your question, but the way we access it is we have to look at the results. We have to understand the actions that we chose that created them. And we have to be able to very carefully look at what were the thoughts and feelings that were associated with those actions. And then it's almost like by analysis and inquiry, we can go, okay, where must they arise from? So if somebody is being self-abusive in the actions they take, whether it be self-sabotaging in a relationship or their body because they're eating foods that they know aren't good for them or they're smoking, um, then that's the actions that are leading to unfulfilling results. Their thoughts might be something like, yeah, what's the point? No one gives a shit about me. Uh, I'm never going to be successful. And the feelings might be a little bit of depression or frustration or regret. So all of that, we have to look at, okay, what would house that nicely? Like what would in the subconscious, what would be the context for all of that to be a legitimate experience? So for me, all of that would fit nicely into something like I'm not enough. Yes. Yeah. Right. So that would be a subconscious framework Uh, within which we have the conscious thoughts of powerlessness, helplessness, or they're the feelings, but then the thoughts of like, ah, no one's, no one pays attention to me anyway, or I'm worried about what other people think about me. So that's, that's the human experience, but it's being housed by something that you can't see. So we have to basically reverse engineer it. So that's, that's how I access the subconscious for people is, and I've done it for so long that I can see right. just in results, behavior, mm-hmm. languaging, posturing, feelings. It's like, oh, okay, that shows me that they're being driven by a deeper sense of some form of inadequacy, some form of inadequacy, uh, sorry, insecurity, or some form of scarcity. So you've worked with some of the most successful, high-achieving, high-performer people in the world, and speak on the examples that you're allowed to talk on or whoever you're allowed to speak on too. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just even at seeing the people at the highest level, the professional athletes, the actors, musicians, like everybody has some type of insecurity or something in their past. That's, that's, I would say holding them back from being the best that they can be. If they have something, expectations of a parent or whatever it might be that you dig out in the subconscious, like before you can even, work with somebody and I, and I do this before I even work with somebody on court you got to figure out what motivates them mm-hmm. you got to figure out what their purpose is why are they putting in all this work why do they want to be the best yeah it sounds like that's kind of the framework that you that you uh, you create or you get out of determining their subconscious and seeing what is going to actually like make them get out of bed every single day and what finding their purpose is yeah. so do you, do you find that with with these these top level highly motivated people that are they all driven for a similar type of purpose or is it all over the board or is it just like you've got to figure out each person there's definitely themes you know like being human is even as we sit here like wherever anyone is on the planet right now they're going to be talking about like some very limited buckets of conversation you know they're talking about themselves as it relates to their health or their career or their relationships people are talking about um 
sex or money or food you know like humans are pretty basic that way so for that reason there's definitely some common themes like you know in the book that i'm writing i've delineated what i consider these 10 fundamental constraints of what it means to be human and then depending on which one you're associated with at the time you're going to have a different experience of life so with these top performers to answer your question, there are definite like similarities in terms of people's motivation. But again, I would say that's less about top performers and more about just being human. Right. Sadly, you know, for most people, the motivation behind all action is fear. And it's not wrong, but it, it's like physiologically speaking, it's like sprinting and building up lactic acid, right? You get a performance, you get an outcome, right? Meaning there's some, there's some product that is a, is the outcome of action, but it comes at a cost, right? So you can't sustain sprinting for too long because of, you know, using other resources and then you've got this excess lactic acid. So when you, when you're driven by fear, you may well get great results, but there's going to be a cost, it's not the most efficient way of utilizing human resources to develop some kind of product or outcome. So for me, I want to be able to access what is someone's fear. Now, it's going to be there. We're human. But we want to be able to be vulnerable enough to look at it without judgment. So it's almost like an objective analysis and go, that's okay. You're scared. Well, welcome to being human. Don't worry about it. But what is it? Where did that come back? Where did that come from? And then we can like trace back to events, whether it be recent in career. Or usually it goes way back, obviously, to childhood and mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. like I can remember one of my baseball players who would regularly he played well. And, you know, he might have a night where he's three for four, four for five. And that's a solid night. You know, that's amazing. Sure, yeah. But he would be, quote unquote, still somewhat miserable, you know, and when it came to like looking at what was that about he can remember as a kid that he would go four for five and his dad would say well what happened to the fifth hit interesting so he was conditioned to think that he had never done enough so now that was his framework that was his subconscious way of relating to results the results were objectively phenomenal but his way of interpreting them was through the lens of a kid who was never fulfilling up to what his dad thought he should Interesting. Right? Isn't yeah, that crazy? Sure, so, yeah. so one of the quotes I use, and that's how I basically share this work, is through quotes. I say that past hurt informs future fear. Yeah. yeah. So wherever we've had any, any sense of failure, it doesn't have to be in sports or performance. It could be in relationship. It could be in finance. It could be in business. It could be in our career. It could be in intimate relationships. Wherever there's been some sense of failure. Now, the brain, because it's designed to predict and protect is always looking out for the, any kind of environment that is similar to when we previously failed. And now we're sort of in that mild self-sabotage um, right. process where we're trying to avoid something that we experienced before that basically caused some pain or hurt. Yep. So it's a protection mechanism, and we could say it's great for survival, but it's not great for you know really truly being alive and vital. So there's... To help these people, I'm sort of bouncing around a little bit, no, but that's good. the common theme, as I said, is often fear. Yep. We want to be able to trace that back to past events and see, okay, yeah, I got that you were disappointed, you were embarrassed, you felt shame, you felt guilt, all of these hurtful emotions based on a performance that didn't go the way you wanted it. 
you know, look at how many kids when they're in front of a classroom and they say something and all the kids laugh and they could be five, six, seven years old. <laughs> yeah. And from that moment forth, they, they hate public speaking. Exactly. More people right. would rather jump off a cliff, basically, than get in front of an audience and speak. Right. So that humiliation factor was then the precursor to them creating a protection mechanism around having any sense of vulnerability in a group setting. Yep. So the way to access freedom, which is really my work, is to help to see the disconnect or create a disconnect from past events, realizing they've got nothing to do with today other than memory. So, you know, I like to inject a lot of humor or lightheartedness into my work because I think, first of all, people take yes. life way too freaking seriously. Thank you, man. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, you've got to be able to laugh at yourself for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's Absolutely. human. No one's freaking perfect. Yes. Everyone's messed up and no one knows what the hell they're doing. So, you know, <laughs> if, <laughs> you really, if you can really get that, it's very yeah. liberating. But yeah. um, it's really to be able to look back at past events, see them for what they are, and really accept. You know, there's a profound acceptance in my work that you're human and that people might use the term forgiveness. Um, I prefer acceptance. But um, it's, it's just recognizing the, the, the logic uh, of whatever's happened has got nothing to do with what's going to happen. I often use the metaphor, again, or analogy of like if you went to a racetrack and say you'd bought a nice car and it was Porsche or whoever and you're allowed to go and race. And there's someone on the track ahead of you and you're waiting and you're next. But that person ahead of you has, you know, let's, let's not get too dramatic, but let's say they have an accident, right? Yeah. It's not fatalistic, but yeah. you're watching this. Right. And you see them have a bit of a nasty crash around like a tight corner or whatever. And then you decide, you know what? I'm good. I'm not going to do it today. So what happens is you see something, you're informed by an event, which is a totally different human being with totally different karma, totally different skill set. But the brain sees potential danger or perceived threat. So whenever the brain perceives any kind of threat, we're going to go into a resistance mode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, if you just see that across the board and the spectrum of what it means to be human, especially as an athlete, there's a lot of perceived threat all the time. Oh, right? From free throws to like, you know, buzzer beaters at the yeah. end of a game and the pressures on you. And so really it's the adaptation, just like resistance training physically, but of the mind to be able to get to a place where I'm okay with perceived threat because it's just part of being life. And in fact, you know, one of my one of my distinctions that I teach people is that life itself is uncertainty. Now, to the part of us that's trying to survive, that's that's scary. Yeah, because right. we want to be in control. Yeah, we're afraid of the unknown. Exactly. Well, and that's and I'm glad you said that because not to, you know, not to make that statement wrong, but I want to maybe reframe it for you. Please. So people will say, "I'm scared of the unknown." I'm like, that's actually not what's happening. See, nice. we're sitting here, and if I were to say to you, in about 15 minutes, a huge meteor is going to land in my kitchen here and just take <laughs> out like a quarter of LA. Now, if we're sitting here knowing that's coming, we could, obviously it's a hypothetical and I'm making this shit up, so you'd have to role play, but you'd get pretty scared, right? So that would be fear of what's going to happen. Yes. But before I presented that scenario, that was unknown to you. Yes. So how can you be scared of it? So this is where it's super important for people to understand. The thing that you're scared of is not unknown. It's what your brain is projecting as a possible outcome. That's really good. Right? So it's very important because then you start to get that actually the only thing I'm scared of is what my brain is predicting. Yep. 
So that, to me, actually gives a lot more power because if I'm truly scared of the unknown, I can't do anything about that. That doesn't mean that uncertainty itself doesn't carry a certain degree of curiosity, intrigue. You know, there could be a, a degree of an apprehension, right? Yep. But I wouldn't say we're scared of it. We just, if you're truly in, I don't know, then you just don't know. And it's a blind spot. But because the brain is designed, as I said, to predict and to protect, it's going to actually therefore project mm -hmm, mm -hmm. likely outcomes in order for us to survive. Now, and when we're in an arena where there's high-end performance at stake, it's all about really ego survival versus real survival, right? Mm -hmm. Contracts, image, status, you know, how, how do I occur to people? That's a threat to the ego. And so that's where the prediction and the fear comes in because we're looking at, okay, what happens if I go over? What happens yeah. if I miss this free throw? What happens if, you know, I, I, I serve a double fault? What, whatever it is, now the fear is of what we're thinking could happen. Yeah. So that's, you know, when people call self-sabotage or self-fulfilling prophecy of the mind, that's where I help people understand why it's happening. You know, if you come to a T-junction when you're driving and you say, okay, don't go right, don't go right, don't go right. I mean, your brain is focused on the thing that you know <laughs> what? not going to do. I mean, you may, you may just make it and turn left in that scenario for sure. But if you're standing on a free throw line, you don't miss. Or you're standing at the plate and don't oh, strike man. out. Like, and, and or with my golfers, you know, so like don't good. miss this three-foot putt. Instead of like reconditioning the mind, first of all, I have no idea what's going to happen being totally comfortable with uncertainty, which itself is a practice, but it's reality. So, you know, you can try and figure out what's going to happen out as much as you want. You still don't know. So it's learning to be totally comfortable and at peace with not knowing and then having commitment, right? Having intentionality towards what you do want versus trying to avoid what you don't want. And that's, that's reconditioning, that's rewiring God, the that's, way that people view life. That's just a complete mindset shift of everything that... I mean, you just grow up learning. Like mm -hmm. you just literally the fear of failure because you failed before. And that's what you see. Like a lot of NBA players that can't perform in the fourth quarter or that can't make free throws. Yeah. It basically comes down to they've, they've failed so many times at it. They think they're just going to fail or somebody tells them, man, you're a 50% free throw shooter. Like getting told you're not good at something just is going to just continue to build into your brain that you're not good at that something. Yeah. It's, it's, it gets a little more you know, insidious because if you look at childhood, the way that we're informed, the way that we're educated, there's a big emphasis on what's wrong. What's wrong, right. But as a yep. kid, like you just think about even your own childhood, like how many times are you told, you know, David, don't do that. Yeah. Stop that. Like, yeah. you know, so the language that is used is in limitation and negation. Yep. So, you, you know, often, of course, as we grow up, you know, a dad or a mom or whoever, or a teacher will say, well, we want you to do this, right? So that would be an affirmative way of behaving. But for the most part, it's a negative in, impl implication. So it's like, don't do that. That's wrong. That's bad. And these are very inst in, um, instrumental years where we're developing the way that we relate to our environment. Mm -hmm. And so if the way that we're inf being informed about how to act is we're making choices based on what we're not supposed to do, then we're already developing the avoidance tactics. 
Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is why lying is so prevalent with kids, because they learn that when they do something and it's wrong, there's some sort of consequence, there's ramifications. So when a child learns to lie, all they're doing is they develop self-protection mechanisms. Gosh, dude. It makes so much sense <laughs> when you say all of this. Yeah. But it's like, why doesn't people all understand that? Like, why do people live out of fear? Like, I think I've heard it that 98% of the things that you think are going to happen never really end up happening. That yeah. people live based on that percent of fear. Quick break in the podcast to bring to you our sponsor, Butcher Box. My taste buds are jumping up and down for joy with this right now. It is literally the best steaks you will have in your life right here. 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken. If you want chicken, heritage bread pork. I'm a salmon guy, and their salmon is fresh and unbelievable. Free shipping delivered right to your door. You can get two pounds of ground beef every month for free. Or you can enter this sweet hookup code that they gave me to give to you guys, DNA, to get $20 off any purchase that you have at all times. Check it out, butcherbox.com. If you like meat, if you're a man-of-the-woods carnivore, I like veggies too, but if you just love good meat, check these guys out. Unbelievable. Grass-fed, grass-finished. Grass-finished is the key. They're bringing it. Butcherbox.com. DNA at checkout. Okay. Hook it up. Let me know how you like it. Taste buds will thank you. So catering it directly to the NBA, yeah. are you able to speak on the NBA all-star that you are able to take from being a horrible free-throw shooter to a very good free-throw shooter? Yeah, I mean, we don't have to mention names, but I mean, it's like um, we just have mutual friends and I was asked to go and, you know, chat to this guy who was super talented, but in a bad place, right? Yeah. When you've got one of the lowest shooting free throw averages in the league, it's going to have an impact on all sorts of levels, like not just on the results of the game, but the the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment for fans, for teammates and, you know, the impact that it has on someone's livelihood and career. So... You know, setting him up to be able to understand how his mind was working, I said, you know, I'm sure you've tried everything, right? You're talking to teammates, you're talking to coaches, you're talking to family, maybe even talking to sports psychologists. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. And I said, what I want you to understand is your behaviors and your intentions are well intended, but they're reinforcing your belief that you've got a problem. Right, so there's a fine line between seeking help because we're committed towards something versus seeking help because we're trying to get away from something. Ah, interesting. Right, so most people go to the gym because they don't want to be overweight. Yes. Right? So they're not actually going to the gym because they want to create this exquisite physique. Yeah. That wouldn't be the framework that most people are inspired. When they go, you know, New Year's comes around and people make their resolutions. It, uh, again, to my point earlier, most people are being informed by what they don't want. Right? Someone's 20, 30, 50, 80 pounds overweight. I don't want that. So I better go to the gym to get rid of something. So going back to the player, he was choosing um, sort of behaviors to try and fix his problem which at a very subtle and then you know profoundly deep level is only reinforcing the belief that he's got one but everything that he was concerned about was his history meaning anything that anyone's worried about 
the fact that they know about it and they're worried about it means it's already happened, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. going back to what I said earlier, that life is uncertainty. You can't be worried about something that hasn't even happened yet or you don't know. Right. So everything you're worried about must be something that you know or your brain is projecting, which is still known, meaning it's in your mind, mm-hmm. um, is of your own creation, right? So one of my quotes again, I say, you can't help but laugh when you realize the only thing that's upsetting you is your own imagination. Yeah, <laughs> that right? is really true, though. That's all that's Gosh, ever happening, man. That's all that's it's ever happening. It's unbelievable, just like just just talking and how I know this stuff and how I practice it, but just just hearing it just makes it so clear, makes so much sense. Yeah, like overall, like if you if you just even bring back into into a nutshell the things that you've been like continuing to harp on is people live so much based out of fear mm-hmm. and based out of their past yeah. and based out of what others might think of them mm-hmm. or something that they don't want to be. Yeah. But none of that is based on their goals, their dreams, their ambitions, what they know they can be mm-hmm. and being them fully themselves. Yeah. I'm a big believer in we're all given absolute gifts from God to be able to just shine in, in, in our own way. Everybody yeah. but different gifts. Mm-hmm. But it's just, are people scared to let that light shine? Are people yeah. Do they yeah. are they afraid of what others might think of that? And it sounds like I mean it all starts literally in the subconscious. Yeah. And being able to help an NBA player or I mean, shoot, you've worked with some of the top names in in Hollywood and I mean tennis, golf. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I know you're not a boastful guy at all, but I will tell you that you are the best mind coach, best mental architect literally that I've ever talked to. And I've talked to, I've talked to MJ's guy, Kobe's guy. I've talked to a lot of them, but um, just, just calling it how it is, man. (laughs) Can, can you, can you talk on some of the people that you work with? Yeah. I mean, I want to finish just, you know, just so people understand the transformation that can occur. Like, so going back to the athlete who was struggling with free throws, just to complete that, that transformation in the story is like, so once you recognize, wow, he's actually reinforcing the very thing that he believes he's trying to get away from, right? So his intentions are pure, wants to get better, but the actual driving motivator is that I have a problem. So what I presented to him is I said, okay, so when you step up at the line, how do you feel? He's like, well, I'm worried. I said, and yeah, what are you worried about? Like obviously missing. I know what he's going to say. So you're trying to avoid missing the hoop, right? Mm -hmm. So I said to him, okay, let's just create a hypothetical. I said, if I told you that for the rest of the season, you shoot league average of whatever it was at the time, 73, 75%. Right. How would you feel? His whole face lit up, his shoulders <laughs> dropped. He's like, dude, that'd be freaking amazing. And I said, well, this is the bit I want you to understand. What I just presented to you is as real as the future you're worried about. because they're both fictitious I'm still sitting in your living room (laughs) crazy man right but now that also is what I would call a virtuous cycle versus a vicious cycle right so meaning his energy you know if we get down to the granular level of like his cellular status like like how's he actually the flow the chi the prana whatever you want to say in terms of his actual systemic experience of himself he was suddenly lighter He suddenly felt more relaxed. Now, as an athlete, you look at things like timing. If there's any kind of fear, fear physiologically is going to create some form of tension, however mild. Now, you know, physiologically, if there's any sort of tension, before there can be actual movement, there has to be relaxation. So tension, therefore, actually creates a subtle delay 
because I've got to move from a somewhat static fear-based state to then get to the state that I want to be in. So this is why guys hit a lot of foul balls or why they, you know, guys shooting might just continually hit the rim. There isn't that flow state or what people might call being in the zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that to me still stems from the psychology because if I'm in a position where I'm slightly, you know, predicting an outcome that I don't want, then I have to be, I have to be in a mild state of concern, perceived threat. So now it's like you got your, your dukes up, you know, and you're ready for this potential future you don't want. So you're in a state of fight or flight. Now, sympathetic nervous system, most people have heard of as that yeah. expression of fight or right. flight, cortisol, adrenaline, right. even the slightest surge in adrenaline, which all athletes are going to have. But if you have a little bit more, then again, your timing's off compared to when you're just shooting around with the guys and you're relaxed. So... So anyway, so he got to see that, wow, the very thing that he's concerned about is a reflection of a history that's done. You can't change it. His brain automatically, it's not his fault, is predicting a future that could be similar that then is informing in present time anxiety. Now, if you follow that chain, you can see that, well, wait a minute, what you're worried about is behind you. It's got nothing to do with today. What's coming up next? And the, exactly. you know, the metaphor I use, again, it's like driving your car, but the way you drive is looking in the rearview mirror. Exactly. And then you wonder why you keep running into shit. Because yeah. you're not looking where you're going. Nice. I like that <laughs> analogy. That's, right? that's so spot on with the players that I work with in developing their shot. Like, mm-hmm. literally, I mean, shooters, when you say you're a streaky shooter, it's because they build off the confidence of a make and a make and a make, and it keeps, it keeps compounding. The motivation compounds motivation. But you, got, you, have to be able to, you have to be able to divorce yourself from each and every shot. Yeah. You have to have that confidence that no matter what, if you've just lost... 10 games in roulette that the next one is going to be your winning game. It's a 50-50 odd split. If you shoot yeah. 50% from the field, it's great. Yeah. But a lot of players will let, or any kind of athlete will let the play in the past, and you did a, such a good job of telling them, like making that seem so prominent, that letting the past affect that next one. When in mm-hmm. reality, I mean, they've done it a do million, million times. It has nothing to do and even, with anything. Even the languaging you use, which I know you're using as an example, but if someone were to say you're a streaky shooter, yeah. now see, that becomes like a linguistic exactly. constraint, right? Like, so as soon as we define ourselves, and now we could get real, I mean, it depends how deep you want to get, but... I want to go super deep, <laughs> but for your time, I know you don't have... Yeah, no, no, we, we, can't, we can't grind you on yeah. that. Um, so, you know, know... right where you're going with the streaky shooter. <laughs> I do the same, I know you hit it. But it's, it. it's not a truth, right? Exactly. Like, that may be a tendency, that may be a pattern, but all of that is, again, being informed by someone's past. It's got nothing to yeah. do with who they are. Right. So this is where we get real deep into language where... I'll let people understand. You can say I am, but then anything after that, you made up. <laughs> right? So I am, meaning like, again, it gets a little bit yeah, sort of into I the know. esoterics. But I am, meaning I exist. I know I'm alive. But even if I say I am English, which, you know, everybody's going to agree on because I was born in England. Yeah. To me, it's not actually accurate. Yeah. It's based in language because however many hundreds of years ago, someone saw this piece of dirt and they called it England. <laughs> but that dirt was there before language was. True. So true. It's, is it really true to say that I'm English or is that just something that we've agreed upon? We've agreed just, yeah. Right? And then forget about if we get into religions and the differences that occur there and someone says, I am this and they are that. Well, now you create separation and that creates hostility and, you know, the, yeah. the, the rest is history in terms of bloodshed (laughs) because wherever we create separation and the ego wants to be right and then if it has to be right it needs to make someone else wrong 
So that whole dynamic is also a play in terms of performance, right? In terms of the way that we get to show up as free, loving beings who are truly coming from a sense of possibility versus constraint, fear, protection, survival mechanisms. And that's unfortunately the world we live in. So whether it's sports, relationships, or you know, wars between nations or religions, the underlying foundations of why all of that occurs is the same. Mm-hmm. It's fear. I'm right, you're wrong, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's either a spatula that's thrown across the kitchen at a spouse, <laughs> or you know, maybe it's some bigger military <laughs> equipment thrown across the nations. You, know, you get the point, but it's still the same thing. So, for me, this goes beyond sports. Sports is a beautiful metaphor for life and the things that we all go go through. And that's why I think there's so many aspirational moments that we get to witness through these incredible athletes in terms of what is possible, uh, in terms of having hopes and dreams. And, but to be able to use that as a correlate to what do people go through in everyday life in performance and the fears and the failures and the disappointments, which are just, they're just built into the game. It's just baked into being human, you know? And that's why for me, working with baseball players particularly, I mean, that is a game of failure. You know, you're seven out of 10 failure, you're an all-star. Exactly. That's nuts. So you... You know, any human being out there, I think the greatest thing that they can learn is that you, you're gonna you're gonna f up, you know, and that is probably the greatest school. You know, mm-hmm. it's the the old expression of smooth seas don't make a good sailor. You know, <laughs> and yeah. so the more adversity you can come up against, and the more heartache that you can actually triumph and overcome, chances are you picked a pretty good dharmic path to uh, become an extraordinary human being. Because if it's all handed to you, you probably don't have much of a spine. Exactly, you know? man. And I've wrote a book that's that's coming out. It's about making mindset shifts. But literally, you are the mindset shift king. Speaking with you, <laughs> like oh, it's, you. it's looking at failure but the word failure alone is going to tell you that you've done something wrong but is it failure or is it are you able to make it a learning process are you yeah. able to, a growing process not just a learning process but a growing process Absolutely. so you look at failure as a bad thing or a positive thing like yeah. I look at it as a positive thing because I know I'm going to get better from it 100%. or do you look at pain as something that's happening to me mm-hmm. or do you look at pain as something that's happening through me to give to others yeah. so it's pain with purpose mm-hmm. so it's looking at any of these negative things like like you've been saying it's like with a baseball player and, and or a basketball player and going through a slump mm-hmm. if you say you're going through a slump you're yeah. in a slump you yeah. self-created the word slump when people tell me that i'm like there's no such thing as a slump no you just created it yourself there's that it's beautiful the, the, the what comes to mind and something i share with a lot of my guys is no you, you're not going through a slump you just have a memory yeah. <laughs> and it's really funny you, you say know, that that's all. Because, that's happening. Man, because when I played, and I see it now too, and I won't say the name of the player that I've worked with, but he's one of one of the best shooters in the NBA, mm-hmm. but probably one of the non-smartest, like just mm-hmm. has, a, has a memory literally of a water bug. Like mm-hmm. he like forgets everything, but such a good shooter because he doesn't remember the past. Right, and right. for myself, when I was playing, I struggled because I was... I was pretty smart and I, mm-hmm. I would remember and I would overthink things to the max mm-hmm. and I would remember that last shot and that last shot. But you're right. You, it's just like you, you yeah. can't have that it's, type of memory. It's, uh, again, one of the things I talked to in my book is about, you know, the main issue that humans have is they're just addicted to memory. Yeah. And that's yeah. what they use. And of course, it's how we, it's how we learn. Like you want to remember, like, you know, where do I live? Like, what's my name? Like, you know, I mean, there's certain fundamentals to yeah. being a human yeah. who can function in right. time and space. 
But when it comes to events that like hurt us, a lot of people use those to define them. Yeah. You know, but not in an empowering way to, as I said, the ego wants to be right. And unfortunately, I've got so many examples of this, but like I can remember a golfer in particular that I helped. We tripled his winnings. Like that's significant in two years, yeah, right? Really? So yeah. from about 1.2 million in winnings to 3.6 in less than 24 months, but he still hadn't won an event. And he'd done a lot of great, you know, like top tens, second places, and really that justified, <coughs> excuse me, why he'd made so much money, but he, he didn't understand why he had won. And it was a tough conversation. And I said, well, because there's still the part of you that wants to be right about the fact that you can mess it up. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest challenge for humans. And I had all the compassion in the world for the guy and I love him, but you know, the, the stickiness of the ego and its persistence to be self-righteous is most people's downfall because yeah. it's, you know, tongue in cheek. I say, wow, that's so inspiring. You're going to be right about your own inadequacy. Like, yep. amazing. <laughs> you know, man. It is, but that's what we all deal with, you know, myself included. I mean, I had a lot of fears of inadequacy and yep. because guess what? I'm human. And then I saw what they were, which is just these codes, these programs, these belief systems that aren't truths. They're convincing and there's a lot of evidence to support them, but they're not actual truths. And that's the distinction yep. is helping people to see that what they believe is a belief, not a fundamental truth. Yeah, and I, I love that on so many levels, and, and it just speaks volumes to basically like everything that we're taught is how you take at it, take it, and flip it upside down, and look at it from a different perspective. Because a lot mm-hmm. of us we're just taught like, okay, this is failure, this is this, this is this, this is just the way it is, mm-hmm. and it's so programmed in our minds that that's what we're going to think, and it just mm-hmm. it just restricts us from everything else that we can be. Like for me myself, like I, I legitimately don't care what others think mm-hmm. because I'm not tied to worrying about my what I'm supposed to be in the eyes of others or what yeah. what I'm supposed to live up to because there's not there's nothing that we're supposed to have to be those restrictions yeah. put upon us and the best thing that i like even most about this podcast and we gotta have we're gonna have session number two after this too <laughs> there's just so much more deeper that we're gonna be able to go into so as, as we wrap this up the the thing that really stood out to me is when you said just be able to laugh at yourself be yeah. able to be able to like literally i tell people find something you suck at and mm-hmm. do it yeah so you're able to laugh and not take yourself so seriously and i think that's where kids is such a beautiful um example for how to live life right like yeah. if you were to go to a yoga class here in la with a bunch of adults like as a stereotype you know for the most part everyone's going to look put together they got nice yoga pants their hair's going to be done maybe people are wearing makeup and god forbid that they don't look good in their poses right this is just a generalization right, right. but kids you put them in a yoga class they're falling all over the place they don't care like you know it's like it's not about yeah. perfect you know yeah. and uh, I think having that sense of humor not taking ourselves too seriously enjoying the imperfections that we all possess uh, to me is actually Actually where we relate the most you know yep. that's awesome we're gonna stop there for round one yeah there's gonna definitely be a second second one man you're it's just speaking with you is, is literally like changes my mindset and i like you hit everything on the tee to me man awesome well, you're welcome pleasure to be with you my friend man. Big time thank you to Peter Crone for gracing us with his presence on the One Percenter podcast with David Nurse. I've always wondered why they say you can only use 10% of your brain or humans only use 10% of your brain. Peter basically mindset shift flips that on your head. When you dive into the subconscious, 
you use more of your brain than you ever knew you even had. It's kind of like that Leonardo DiCaprio movie Inception where he's dreaming but able to access more of his subconscious and his brain. That's what this mindset architect Peter Crone is doing for us. And I've been very blessed to be able to become close friends with Peter and just spending time with Peter. It's just something different about him. It's just an aura that he has and the people around us in our lives that make us better, that challenge us, that improve us. And Peter is like that to me and I'm very blessed to call him a good friend. And in your own week, in your own days, look at the people you're spending the most time with. Are they people that you want to be like? Are they people that challenge you? Because the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with, that's basically who you are. All right, well, I'll leave you with that, and I will link to everything we talked about on this episode of the Mindset Architect Peter Crone in the show notes. And also, check out in the show notes if you want to further advance your one percenter, my course, my personal in-depth customized course just for you, just for one percenter family. And basically, in a nutshell, what the course is about is improving your mind, your body one percent so that you can improve yourself to pour into others, living each day with optimal joy passion for what you do and overall confidence in who you are through different aspects through sleep in depth on your sleep how are you going to improve your sleep i'll customly help you do so your nutrition what are your goals we'll figure it out together your workout your training how do we set it up the best for you in your mindset how do you look at everything from a positive perspective that's what the course is about 28 day course 29 to make that habit 28 days to make a habit 29 to make it a lifestyle the link will be in the show notes of how you can become part of the one percenter family and join me on this amazing journey this amazing life that we have and become an ultimate one percenter thank you so much for joining me on this one percenter podcast with david nurse have a great week and remember life's a journey enjoy it david nurse signing off